Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au If you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Well, welcome to church, everybody. Thank you for braving the weather to be here this morning. We're really grateful that you're here with us today. And hey, I think I know everybody in this room, but if I haven't met you before, my name is James and I just want to let us know that I've got a little daughter who's very loud at the moment. I want to apologize. We've got an 18-month-old daughter called Zoe. You'll hear at the back of the room screaming right now. And I'm sorry about that, but this is just a stage of life that we're in at the moment, okay? We're discovering that Zoe is beginning to become a really fiercely independent person. And man, it's fun, hey? It's a lot of fun, and, and part of me takes a lot of pride in that because I wanted to grow up to be independent, you know? I wanted to be, to be able to do our own things. The less nappies I have to change, the less toys I have to put away, the better in my books. And so part of me is really proud that she's becoming independent, but there's another part of me that's just tired <laughs> and that's just exhausted. And, you know, it's, sometimes it's really hard to follow and chase somebody who wants to do everything themselves but can't do anything themselves. And so I'm tired as well, and you know, in our house, every morning when Zoe wakes up, there's a word that she starts the morning with. There's no, it's not good morning, it's not how you doing, Dad. It's Nana. Nana, Nana, eat Nana. She just wants to have a banana at the beginning of every morning. And so that's what we end up having to do in our household. We go and grab a banana, except when we grab it off, I'm not allowed to peel it because that's helping, right? And she's independent. So she wants to be able to peel the banana herself. And so if I try to do it, we end up with a tantrum at 6 a.m. in the morning. No one's happy. So I have to give her the banana. And every single time it works out worse because she doesn't know how to open a banana. So she stands there, she's fiddling with it, she tries eating it with the skin, she gets more frustrated, I get more frustrated because I know it's easier if I do it, and everyone's frustrated. It's not a good time because she's wanting to be independent. And furthermore, she, she loves brushing her teeth, so we're, we're really grateful for that, that she likes to brush her teeth, but she doesn't like it if we brush her teeth. And so she likes the toothpaste, she doesn't like the toothpaste by herself, uh, the toothbrush by itself, so we have to give her toothpaste, otherwise there's a tantrum. We can't put it in her mouth, otherwise there's a tantrum. She has to do it herself, but she doesn't brush her teeth. I don't know if anyone else has had toddlers before, but they just chew on that thing like there's no tomorrow. She eats the toothpaste, chews on the toothbrush, throws it out, and you know, heaven forbid I try and help prevent gum disease or tooth decay, because that's not what she wants. She's too independent for us, you know, she sees what mum and dad do, she sees what we do, and she wants to try and accomplish it herself, but she's just not at that level of being able to do it. And so she's being independent and fiercely so. And I'm told by other parents that it's only going to get more complex and more fierce from here on in, so be praying for us. But, you know, I want her to grow up and be independent. I want her to be a strong, independent woman, capable of doing everything that she wants to do. And I think that's the norm for us, right? There's a point in our life where we grow in our independence, so it's easier for us to do stuff for ourselves. It's easier just to rely on ourselves to do stuff. And, and it's more simpler. And, you know, we grow in that independence. And, you know, maybe some of us still struggle with brushing our teeth every two days, but we grow in our independence and we start to be independent on bigger things like supporting ourselves or making sure there's food on the table, or there's clothes in the wardrobes that are clean. You know, we'd start to depend on ourselves and we grow in our independence and we keep growing our independence and then one day we decide, hey, maybe we want to have dependence of our own. And it's like this whole cycle of independence, right? And it's a good thing. It's a good thing in society to be independent. That's what we're supposed to be doing and it's good. But I reckon the challenge in our story today, that what God's wanting to challenge us is in, is in some of that 
independence. This morning, as we unpack scripture, I think God is wanting to challenge us in that. Not that independence is a bad thing, but challenge us in the way that we trust God to move, the way that we trust and depend on him in our own lives. You know, at the moment, we're at the start of this new vision series. So you see, we've got fancy new slides, we've got new brands, we've got a whole bunch of new things. We've got a new vision statement. You can find out all of this stuff at the vision booklet at the welcome desk. But at the moment, we're going through our new values as a church. And last week, Andrew spoke about abundant generosity. This morning, I'm going to talk us about what it looks like to live with... Sorry. This morning, I'm going to unpack what it means to hunger for the presence of God. What does it mean when we say we seek the life-giving presence of God in prayer and worship? You know, what does this mean? And God is looking for people to seek him with all of his heart. And, and the story I want to unpack for us today, we see a father and a son struggle what, with what that means. What does it mean to seek a, our father, our God, with all of our hearts? And these guys struggle with it. This is in a time after the split of Israel. So we're going to be looking in 2 Chronicles 14 to 20. Okay, it's, a, it's like six chapters all up, so I'm not going to read it, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and walk us through the story a little bit. So I need you to get, put your story hats on, get ready to unpack a little bit of this story, because it's a long one. But this is a time after the split of Israel. So we got the nation of Israel, Moses and David's nation. It's split into two. We've got Israel and Judah. And this father and son, they come from the nation of Judah now, right? And they're both kings. So we've got King Asa and King Jehoshaphat. They're one after another. And so what happens is it's, King Asa comes into rule, this nation, it's kind of, it's kind of in turmoil, right? His, his grandfather was a bit crazy. They're constantly at war with Israel. They're worshiping a bunch of different idols. Everything's going wrong in the eyes of the Lord in this nation. So King Asa comes in and, and he kind of starts to take over. And he starts really well, right? He goes throughout the entire nation and he's removing all of the idols. He's removing all of the totem poles and saying, hey, we're going to be united under one God. He's doing a really, really good job when he comes in and, and the Lord is happy with it. It says in uh, 2 Chronicles 14 that he removed the foreign altars and the high places smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. He built up the fortified cities of Judah. Since the land was at peace, no one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. Right, it's a good start to his reign. If you read a bit earlier, it's actually 10 years of peace that they're entering into because, these guys, because he's choosing to follow God, right? It's heading into 10 years of peace. And before I jump into the rest of this story, I just want to acknowledge that this story today is going to unpack some concepts of war, and it is going to include reference to war. And so I think it's important for us to acknowledge what's going on around our world at the moment, the fear, the worry, the hurt, and the pain. And if you're a praying person, I encourage you to be joining us in prayer as we pray for our world and as we pray for what's going on around us. But I also just want to quickly note that it's an important distinction between our time and the time that we're reading in this Bible. There's, 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 it's a different era. They're from a different culture, and we live in different times now where war isn't as prevalent as it, as it used to be. It's not a part of our life as it is in these stories. And so I think it's important for us just to note these two perspectives before we get into the story. And actually, as we unpack the story, it's not so much about the war that I want us to focus on. I want us to be focusing on both King Asa and King Jehoshaphat's responses to this war, right? Who do they turn to when they need aid? And, and so we've, we've got King Asa. He's had this 10 years of peace. Everything's going good. But then an army comes, right? An army comes and they're wanting to attack 
the, the nation of Judah. And so King Asa prepares his army. He goes out to meet them in battle. And it says in the scripture that Asa called to the Lord God, his God and said, Look, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. And so after King Asa brings this towards the Lord, the Lord strikes down the other army. And Asa and his men are able to waltz in. They don't have to fight. They're able to waltz in and just reap the rewards of what has already happened. They've won. They've defeated the large army. God is on their side. And through a prophet speaking to Asa, God actually says to Asa, hey, if you continue to depend on me, I'm going to continue continue to favor you. You're going to continue to walk in good steps with me. And, and Asa takes real courage in this. And so he continues to get rid of all the idols, continues to get rid of everything across the land. He really focuses the nation in unity towards one God. And he takes it really seriously, right? This guy, he actually um, removes the royal status of his grandmother because she's refusing to stop building um, idols and she's refusing to worship their God. So he's like, that's not the nation I'm wanting to build. And so he revokes her royal rights. Like He takes it really seriously. And because he does this, God gives the nation 25 years of more peace. 25 years of more peace. And I don't know about you, but to me, that seems like a long time. And it is a long time in the context of this day and age. 25 years of peace. For me, that's most of my lifetime. But as we unpack this story, something strange happens in that time. And, and I actually wonder if in this 25 years of peace, you know, King Asa, the nation, they just start to fall into the rhythms of what it looks like to honor God, right? They just do it over and over again, and it comes from a good heart, right? They want to seek him with everything, and they want to put him first, but it just becomes a rhythm over the 25 years, and they begin to do it as emotion and, and just habitual, and their heart's not in it as much anymore. And so what happens is 25 years later, another army comes to attack, and this time it's Israel, right? They're, they're, they're split cousins from up the north. They come to attack. And, and I wonder if because it's been 25 years of peace, because they've just been so used to what's going on, going through the motions, yeah, they, they, they're trusting in God, but it's just part of the motions. It's just part of their rhythms, their, their systems. It's not what's really on their heart. Maybe they've lost some of their heart in that. Maybe they've become complacent in the way they're seeking God. And so what happens is when this army of Israel comes to try and conquer them, King Asa doesn't turn to God this time. Instead, what he does is he goes and grabs a bunch of gold, he grabs a bunch of money from the temple of God, and he goes and he uses it to try and buy allies elsewhere. Right, so he goes to a neighboring nation, he says, hey, I've got a bunch of gold, why don't you come be my friends and help us scare off these people? And they say yes, and it all works out, right? Israel sees this other big army and they retreat, they don't want to attack anymore. And King Asa is thinking, hey, how good am I? I've made this all work in my own response. And his, his response to the threat was to deal within his, own meals, within his own means, right? To deal with it himself. He didn't give it to God like he was told to. Instead, he handles it himself. And it did work out for him, right? For Asa, the, the issue was resolved. But as another prophet points out to Asa, that in the battle 25 years earlier, absolutely everything else went better. When they relied on God, it went better. They reaped the rewards of war. They reaped the spoils and the threat was gone. But this time there was no spoils. In fact, they'd lost money trying to create allies and, and the threat's not gone. It's just merely retreated. And so Asa didn't like this. He locks the prophet up in prison, and, and he continues to neglect God. In fact, he goes further in his neglect for God, and what happens is he ends up getting sick, he gets an injury on his foot, and three years later, he dies. Right? It's a quick demise for Asa, but that's when his son, 
Jehoshaphat steps in to the picture, and Jehoshaphat, like his dad, starts off really well. He tears down all the, all the idols, he tears down all the totem poles, he says, hey, we're going to be a united nation under one God, and he goes one step further, actually, he, he gets a whole bunch of copies of the law, right, the Bible, the first five books of the Bible, he sends it out, and he sends teachers out to every part of the nation to teach the Bible, because he wants them to know what the law is, he wants them to know how they're going to be operating as a nation, but the thing is, as we read this story around Jehoshaphat, what happens is that Jehoshaphat actually grows more of a heart for peace than for God. And that doesn't sound like that bad of a thing, right? He grows more of a heart for peace than for God. But what happens is that he actually wants to create a treaty with the king of Israel. So him and King Ahab, the king of Israel, they, they kind of join forces together, and, and, and it's all good. And, and, and Ahab ends up asking Jehoshaphat to go to war with him because he wants to conquer more land. And Jehoshaphat says, yeah, that's fine. I want to, in the interest of peace, I want to help out, but let's ask some prophets. And so Ahab brings in all of his prophets. There's 400 prophets in total, and they ask him, should we go to war? Is it going to be beneficial for us? And all 400 of the prophets say, yes, you should definitely go to war. That is what's going to work best for you. But Jehoshaphat, knowing that he's a nation under God, says, hey, why don't we just ask one of our prophets and, and see what's going to happen? And so that prophet comes in and he says, no, you should not go to war. Actually, in fact, if you go to war, King Ahab, you would definitely going to die. Now, that's what the prophet of the Lord says, and, and this makes King Ahab angry, and he says, I'm going to go to war every, anyway, and Jehoshaphat, in the interest of peace, says, all right, sure, I'll come with you. And so to cut a long story short, essentially what happens is that Ahab asks Jehoshaphat to dress up as the king, and Ahab, scared that he's going to die, decides to disguise himself. And, and they go out into battle, they go out into war, and the other nation is, just has eyes for King Ahab, so they see the guy dressed up as the king, they go after him, and when they find out it's not him, they stop and they retreat, they fall back, and as they're falling back, someone shoots a random arrow, and it just so happens to hit King Ahab, pierces his armor, and he dies that night as well, right? It's a complete fluke. A random person, as they're retreating, shoots an arrow, hits a random soldier, and it just so happens to be King Ahab. And the prophecy of the Lord was fulfilled. And so Jehoshaphat returns to Jerusalem. When he gets there, a prophet says to him, mate, you are foolish. Why are you, why are you allying yourself with wicked people, with people who don't listen to God? And he says, you shouldn't be doing that, but I see that there's still good in you. You should push into that. And this is where Jehoshaphat and Asa's responses are different to the prophet. Instead of, I don't know, defending himself, continuing to ne neglect God, what Jehoshaphat does is he says, actually, you're right, let's double down. We're going to be one nation under God. And he goes out on a tour of his entire nation saying, hey, we're going to get rid of all the idols, we're going to get rid of everything, we're just going to worship God here in Judah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so what happens is they do that. They become one nation under Judah. They're seeking God with all of their heart and still Another army comes, this time way bigger. It's a bunch of different nations wanting to take over Judah, and they come. But what Jehoshaphat doesn't do is he doesn't go and find allies. Instead, he calls the entire nation to a time of prayer and fasting. He calls the entire nation, every single person, every man, woman, and child, to a season of fasting and reliance on God. And he prayed in front of the community this prayer that we read in chapter 20. It's a beautiful prayer, and it just says this, Lord, the God of our ancestors... Are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? 
They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before the temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us and you will save us. It's a beautiful prayer. It continues to go on a little bit longer as well. But essentially what happens is the Lord says to the people of Judah that, hey, this war, isn't, this, this war isn't yours. This isn't your battle. This battle is the Lord. And so interest of that, they go out to fight. But what Jehoshaphat does is he puts all of the singers, he puts all of the worshippers in the front line of the army. It doesn't seem like the greatest tactic for, for armies. I don't know if you've met Casey or myself, but we're not that good in a battle. All right? So it's not going to work out. But it doesn't matter because what happens is that the army never has to fight. Because as soon as the singers start opening their mouths, God causes the other army to turn on itself, right? And they end up wiping themselves out completely. So Jehoshaphat and his army are just able to waltz in, and, and again, they reap all the, the, all the spoils of the war. They get to do everything. They get to reap everything without having to fight. And it's a different response to that of Asa. Where Asa grew complacent in his reliance of God, Jehoshaphat stepped into a greater dependence. You know, we can see how the outcome of the stories work for both of them, and I think that's a real challenge for us there. I know that's a big story. We just covered a lot of history, but there's a challenge in that for us today, and I know it's easy for us to become complacent in our walk with God. You know, we can be doing all of the right things, saying all of the right things from the outside. It looks like we're doing everything well. We're going through the right motions. We're walking the Christian path well, but on the inside, we are. We're just going through the motions. And so when it gets tough, when, when life gets tough, when we get knocked down, when we feel disheartened, when we feel defeated, often our first response isn't to turn to God, to, to, to depend on God. Often our first response is to try and fix it ourselves. And, you know, sometimes that works. And sometimes, and sometimes it's good for us. And so the next time it comes up and the next time an issue arises, we just learn to depend on ourselves. And each and each time we learn to depend on ourselves in a greater and a greater way, and instead we stop listening to God. And I think the hard thing is like King Asa, sometimes it does work. Sometimes the threat is eliminated, and in our minds it's all good, but maybe God has more in store for you. And maybe there's an even better outcome that we miss because we don't take the time to listen to God. We don't take the time to be in His presence, to seek Him first and depend on Him. You know, I love that line at the end of Jehoshaphat's prayer that we just said. It says, We will stand in your presence, and I will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. You know, I love this line because it, I think it talks to us about the Father heart of God for his people, his heart for his people to be with him, to grow in their reliance on him, and, and he will save you. And his heart for you is to, is to draw near. He will equip and he will resource you. He, he, he will grant you wisdom. He will grant you strength. He will declare that the battle isn't yours and that it is his. And you know, as I challenge us in complacency this morning, as I challenge us in what it looks like for each of us independently to depend on God for ourselves, I actually sometimes think that guilt gets in the way of us understanding this father heart of God, that our own guilt gets in the way of us um, reconciling with God. Sometimes there's a tendency to feel the, the guilt that we're not dependent enough on God or, or that we don't give enough time to God and, and we've come, become complacent and we try to do things in our own strength. And I don't think God's heart is for us to feel guilty in those moments. 
So he has a father's heart. He has a heart that just longs to be with you. And I think the challenge for us is that sometimes we've become complacent, but the thing that stops us being more dependent on God is the guilt from the past. Like we haven't done our spiritual disciplines enough. We haven't been praying every morning like we promised God that we would be enough. And so the guilt is actually the first thing we need to conquer as we learn to become more dependent on God. You know, the other day we, we were sitting at home and and uh, it's been raining a lot, and so Zoe's got a lot of built-up energy. And so we decided what we needed to do is we just needed to go for a walk. We needed to get out of the house, and we needed to go for a walk. And so we walked down to the park, yeah, and we, we go and we play on the slides, and we play on the swings, and Zoe has a ball, and as we're walking back, we didn't bring a pram with us this time because the whole idea was to get rid of Zoe's energy. And so as we're walking back, and as we're coming closer to home, it becomes apparent that actually Zoe's still got it tons of energy left, right? Like her tank is still full. So what we do is we find another park closer to home. And so for now, we go and sit on a park bench there. And Zoe comes and joins with us for as long as she can, which is like 10 seconds. And then she goes and plays in front of us on the grass. And for me, it was a very special moment just seeing the joy in her face as she's playing on that grass in front of me. And, you know, she's bringing us leaves and flowers and every, I don't, dead worms. Like, it, she can be weird sometimes. But she's bringing us stuff, and there's joy in that for us. But what happened is the longer she was playing there by herself, the more she grew in her own confidence. And so she'd get up, and she'd be running around, and the grass is quite long, and so she tripped, like, every five steps. And what would happen is that when she tripped, She'd look at us to say, hey, are mum and dad still there? Am, am I still okay? She'd look at us and realize everything's okay. She'd get up and she'd keep running around. And so she just kept doing this, right? So she'd run away from us, trip, get back up, look at the, see that we were there, run away from us again. And she got like 50 meters away. It was a long way away. And, and Soph said, hey, you know, maybe we should go and get her. And I was like, no, she's fine. She's going to get scared. She's going to decide to come back to us and it's all going to be okay. And now, my lesson there is that I need to listen to my wife a lot more because she didn't come back. What happened is she actually found another pathway and ran into the forest, and we couldn't see her. Right? It was terrifying. So we, we had to chase her. We had to find her. And when we found her, she was distraught, right? Because when she'd fallen over, she couldn't see us anymore. And, you know, my heart for her was sad that she'd run away and decided that she didn't need us, but no part of me wanted her to feel guilty about it. Right, the second that she realized what she had done in running away from us, we were there with arms wide open to help her, make, to help her feel safe and, and happy and, and peace again. You know, my heart never changed for her the further that she ran away. Even when I couldn't see her, or even when she couldn't see me, rather, my heart never changed for her. I still wanted to be with her. My heart never changed, and our, hearts, our Father's heart doesn't change for us either. When we become complacent in our faith or, or independent in our life, it stays the same. He's a welcoming Father who will always welcome us in, and so we don't need to feel that guilt. But if we were to stay in His presence, right? if we were to stay reliant on Him, if we were to stay dependent on Him, we can find far greater peace. We can find far greater joy and, and protection. It's a greater outcome for everyone involved. And you know, as I look around our church this morning, I see a bunch of really good, godly people, people who want to seek after God, people with incredibly kind hearts that just want to bless others. But I wonder if we too have a tendency, though, to become too comfortable in our surroundings. Right, to just become too comfortable in the monotony of day-to-day -day life, that we just start going through the motions as well? Do, do we become too comfortable, too reliant on our schedules and, and our systems, our tried and tested ways of living life? And, 
You know, I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself here too because I know I fall into this as well. We become too comfortable in our surroundings, too comfortable in church even, that when we come and when we worship and when we hear a message and when we enter into ministry moments, our heart is complacent and half-hearted. It's wandering elsewhere because we've become too used to just the motions of what we're doing and we forgot that our heart is for God and our heart is to be close to Him and that we need to be dependent on Him in all things. Sometimes we're just going through the motions, and I believe as a church that God is calling us into a new dependence on Him in prayer and worship. Right? He's calling for us to hunger for His presence even more than we ever have before, to rely on Him in, 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 in a way that we live our lives and trust His process in all things. He's calling us to a new dependence on Him in prayer, a new joy in praise, and a new surrender in worship. And so if your circumstances this morning, whatever, whatever, it, whatever it looks like that you've come here this morning, whatever you're feeling as you come here this morning, I want to ask this. My challenge for us today is what do you need to be dependent on God for in your life? It's really simple, but sometimes it's really hard. What do you need to be dependent on God for in your life? What is he asking for you to give him in prayer? You know, what's that one thing that you're going to be dependent on him and believing in him for? As we wrap up the service, I'm going to get the band to come up and, and join me right now. But I want to be asking us, what is that one big prayer? Now, I'm sure there's a bunch of things in, in all of our lives, but this morning I want to challenge us. What is that one thing that God is calling you to be more dependent on Him for? What is that one thing that you need to give to God? What's your one big prayer? What are you trusting God to do that only God can do? And so this morning, I want us to actually take a moment to figure out those prayers for ourselves. What does that look like? You know, you know for Jehoshaphat and the, and the nation of Judah, it was, it was an easy prayer because it was a prayer for protection and a prayer for victory, right? That's what they were praying for. And so this morning, I want us to figure out what is our prayer that we are going to be praying for individually. And so I want to spend some time for us to actually figure that out. What is God calling you to be dependent on Him for? What is He calling you to stop doing in your own strength and and maybe for you, it's you've been trying to lead God for too long instead of being led by Him. Now, you've been too, too caught up trying to make your life happen the way that you want it to happen. And maybe you just need to, to stop and, and declare His greatness and in a fresh way, trust in His process, no matter how different it might look to your process. I want us to take a moment to become dependent on Him and, and figure out what that one big prayer is for each and every one of us. What are you trusting God to do that only He can do? And so I'm going to give us some time between you and God this morning. And maybe just to start by remembering the incredible things He's done for you. Maybe start by remembering what that is and allow it to build your trust, allow it to build your faith in Him to see that one big prayer. Maybe you don't know what it is now, and so now you've got an opportunity to ask God what that big prayer is. And you know, you should actually you should have those books of prayer and fasting with you, hopefully, those booklets. If you open that up to the second page, there's actually a space to write down that big prayer. And if you're like me, you probably don't have a, a pen, and so that's fine. So you can write it down on your phone as well. But I think there's actually something about the physicality of writing down that prayer that I think is going to be important for us this morning. 
So if you've got your phone, feel free to whip that out, open up the notes tab. What we're going to do is we're going to let this band sing that song that we sang over us for a while. I just want to create space between you and God to figure out what is that one big prayer that you're going to be being dependent on Him for in this next season? What is He calling you to hunger for in this next season? So in that book, it says that there's a, there's a prayer for your revival. This is a prayer for the next 21 days, and I want to encourage us as a church to be praying for this prayer for the next 21 days. So I'm just going to leave us some space right now just for God to minister to each of us individually. To minister to each of us individually as we, as we take, take stock of our life, we take stock of the things that we're trying to do in our own life and we figure out what is that one thing that God is calling us to be dependent on Him for in this next season. So the band are going to sing over us. I just want to allow you the space and the time to write that down right now. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we would love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au. 